Alan and I have a little bit of a history. The first time I saw him rocking up at church, he was holding onto the bars, and um, I thought there was a homeless person trying to get in. So we have this little bit of a joke going on. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord, help us this morning to have new insight into just how wonderfully we are made and to catch a glimpse of the potential that you've placed within each one of us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So as most of you know, um, I'm a teacher. I've taught babies how to swim. I've taught a 90-year-old how to use a computer and loads of things in between. Now, some of those things I've actually been qualified to teach. Most of them, not so much. And um, I've pretty much winged it. But I believe that God's given me um, a passion to empower people to do things that they couldn't do before. So I've always been passionate about education, but it's more been about teaching skills and subject-specific information. But more and more, I've become aware of just how wonderfully we are made and how much power is in our brains that God has placed within us and how much we can have the mind of Christ. I've also become more and more aware recently of just how powerful my thought life is in determining my physical health, my mental health, and my spiritual health. So I've been on a personal journey of discovery, and it's been far from comfortable. I realized that I've been reaping the consequences of thoughts and mindsets that I've allowed to be unchallenged. But I've committed to a journey, and I know I'm going to enjoy the benefits of a transformed mind. So when John asked me if I'd preach again, and I was thinking, Lord, what do you want me to say? I felt prompted just to share some of the things that I've discovered and some of my journey. So before I start, what I'm going to ask you to do is do some thinking of your own. So where you're sat, this is not a horrible thing, so don't worry, but make sure that you're sitting near somebody that you can just swap an answer with because we're going to do a bit of a quiz. So I've got seven questions about the brain, and there's going to be multiple choice, so don't worry, and you can just pick whichever the closest answer you think. And I'll give you the answer straight away. And you've got 10 fingers. Um, so you should be able to work out how much out of seven you got right. Okay, so if you get an answer right, just put one finger up and then we'll take a score at the end. So firstly, approximately how many brain cells do you think we have? Do we have 100,000, 100 million, 100 billion, or 100 trillion? Just swap an answer with somebody next to you. Okay, the answer is 100 billion, all right? So that's approximate. Some of us have more, some of us have less. It's about 86,000, but it's, it's rounded off to about 100 billion brain cells. <laughs> the little branches that grow out of our brain cells, which I'll talk more about later on, they are called dandruffs or dendrites, the little hairs that grow out of our cells, brain cells, dandruffs or dendrites. Tell the person next to you what you think. Right, the answer is dendrites, right? 
Some of us have dandruffs, but that's not in our brain, it's on top of our brain. Number three, are our attention spans increasing or decreasing? In this decade, do we have... So, are our attention spans... <laughs> are our attention spans increasing or decreasing? Swap an answer with somebody. The answer is, they are getting shorter. They are decreasing. In 2000, the average attention span was 12 seconds. Now it's eight seconds, and that's shorter than the nine-second attention span that supposedly the average goldfish has. It's not looking hopeful, people. Not looking hopeful. <laughs> the average brain is believed to generate around how many thoughts a day? About 10,000, 50,000, or 100,000 thoughts a day. The answer is 50,000 thoughts a day. Once again, sometimes more, sometimes less, but around that. What percentage of those thoughts do you think are negative? Have a chat. What percentage of our thoughts are negative? Seventy percent of our thoughts, near enough, good, are thought to be negative. Yep, yep. Yeah, add it on. Brain information can move faster than a Formula One racing car. Do you think that is true or false? Brain information moving faster than a Formula One racing car. The answer is yes. Thoughts can go anywhere between one mile per hour and an impressive 268 miles per hour. And the fastest Formula One car is about 240 miles per hour. So, our last one. Our brains contain a lot of water. Are they 20%, 50%, 70% or 90% water? 20, 50, 70 or 90% water? <laughs> the answer is 70%. So it takes only 2% dehydration to affect your attention, your memory, and your other cognitive skills. <laughs> so, how many? Did anybody get seven? Six? Five? Four? Three? Two? Yes. One? <laughs> There's always one. Zero. <laughs> right. So your brains have done some work, so now they can have a rest. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen to the scriptures. They are not going to appear on the screen. They are going to just be read, and I want the words of the word just to wash over your mind. So just close your eyes and listen. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. You set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. 
Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, you can open your eyes. So, the quiz that we did was mostly about the brain, and what I've just read from the scriptures, there are lots of words there that talk about the mind. And so is there a difference between the brain and the mind? And from the research that I've done, pretty much to put it in simple terms, the brain is the physical bit that's in our head. The mind is the invisible. It's the world of our thoughts, our feelings, our attitudes and our beliefs. And the way that I understand it is that the brain is like the hardware of a computer and our thoughts and our beliefs and our attitudes are like the software, the programs that run on that hardware. So hopefully that's a helpful image. So when we talk about the hardware of our brains, it's made up, as we heard, of lots and lots and lots of brain cells. And very simply, if you imagine a string of a balloon and then the balloon, that's our brain cell. And then if you can imagine little hairs called dandruffs or dendrites, dendrites coming out of that and then more coming out of each other until it almost looks like a bit like a tree or a network. Right? And your brain is just full of those. So that's kind of like the hardware of your brain. Now, the more attention we give something, the more those networks grow. And when we mean when we give something attention, it's when we kind of ask questions about it, when we answer those questions, when we enter into a, a mental discussion around something, when we focus on something and we give it our attention, those networks grow. But the opposite is also true. When we don't give them attention, they begin to shrink. And once when I hurt my back and I went to the doctor and I said, what should I stop doing? And he said to me, whatever you stop doing, you probably will not be able to do again. I was tempted to tell Andy I could never clean the toilet or, or, or wash the bath again, but fortunately I didn't. But the brain can change, the makeup of the, the brain can change, and that's referred to as something called neuroplasticity, which sounds complicated, neuro just meaning the brain, plastic, able to change. So our brains can change. And a lovely example is when we learn to do something like ride a bicycle, or drive a car. When we first learn, everything is very slow. It's very step by step. You have to think about every single thing that you do. And those networks are beginning to form. The more attention you focus on that, the more you practice, the more you do it, the more automatic that becomes. And that's good. 
because every day we are involved in hundreds of activities that happen automatically. And if they didn't, we would take all day just to wake up in the morning, brush our teeth, get ready, and get going. We wouldn't actually get anything done. But because a lot of that is automatic and happens very quickly along these networks that have already been created after lots and lots of attention, we can get through those things pretty quickly. Even breathing in and out is something that happens automatically. You don't have to concentrate on breathing in and out. Um, the same happens in the software of our thinking. So every day, we are using our five senses to gather information. We are bombarded every day through what we hear, what we see, what we smell, what we taste, what we feel. So our software has got to become efficient. And so what it does is it recognizes patterns from the information that it receives and it builds up networks that enable you to think automatically. You don't even know it's happening. It's happening in your subconscious. Now, these don't always work in our favor. They save us time, but it doesn't always work in our favor. So my dad, he really valued academic pursuits he valued hard work. He does still, he's alive. Um, he, has, he valued being a, having a successful job, accumulating wealth, being secure in what you earn. And I was a hard worker at school. I was always rewarded for doing well, for getting good grades. But in the holidays, when I was sitting trying to relax and I'd take up knitting and I would just be knitting a scarf, my dad would walk past and say, what are you wasting your time doing that for? Go and buy a scarf. Do something better with your time. And if I was coloring or doing anything creative, there would be a similar comment. So it didn't take long for my brain to figure out this pattern. And it created a mindset that thought it was being helpful. Because in the future, when I was presented with two tasks and a choice, rather than spending hours deliberating, it was, it was quite quick. Is it learning? Is it academic? Is it hard work? Is it going to achieve something? Tick. Is it creative and practical and a waste of time? So quick, nice and easy, it saves me time. It helps me to be efficient. But you can see that that's not always a helpful thing. Our mindset or our group of attitudes or our group of thoughts, they're not our enemy. All right. So having these automatic filtering responses, it is helpful, but not always. And it's when we are not aware of what those mindsets are. And we're not aware that every thought we have is either helping to create a new mindset or it's adding strength to a current mindset. We become at their mercy. And that's when it can become a problem. And you might think, well, how bad can that be? Now, while I was doing some research for school recently, I came across a TED Talk. Does anybody know about TED Talks? If you don't, go and have a look on, on the internet. They're just quick 15-minute talks by professional people who talk in layman's terms that everyone can understand, and they are from every topic under the sun. They are brilliant. This one was by a Dr. Alia Crum, and it was called Change Your Mindset, Change the Game. 
and she uses loads of different research examples and I was just blown away by two and I really I want to share those with you in a little bit of detail because I think it illustrates just how powerful our brains are. So the first one that she talks about is two hotels with lots of housekeepers in them and they interviewed the housekeepers and asked them how much exercise they got. Two thirds of them said none. They then took all the individual activities that these housekeepers did, making the beds, vacuuming, cleaning the floors, and they worked out how many calories each activity burnt. They then took half of the women and they let them just get on with their jobs. After measuring their weight, their blood pressure, their fat content, and their satisfaction with their work. They let them get on with it. The other group, they did the same measurements, but then they took them aside for a 15-minute presentation where they simply showed them how many calories they were burning in each of the activities that they were doing. And they finished the 15-minute presentation by saying, well done, you are fulfilling the government um, kind of suggestion of how much exercise you need a day. Fantastic, good job, well done. And after so many months, they re-measured these women. And as you can imagine, those who had been told nothing and just been left to get on with it, their measurements remained static. Whereas the other women, their weight loss, they lost weight. They lost body fat. Their blood pressure dropped dramatically. And amazingly, their job satisfaction, that was, it just went up like that. Now, obviously, they couldn't be sure that those women hadn't gone out and done some secret work on the gym. So that wasn't really a laboratory experiment. So they took those findings into the lab and they asked for volunteers to come forward and to be paid $75, this was an American experiment, to come into the lab and drink milkshakes. Sadly, they, they weren't hooray milkshakes, but they were paid $75 to drink a milkshake. The only thing they had to do was to have their hormones um, measured beforehand. They had to not eat for a period of time and come and have something called ghrelin levels. Now, I think of gremlin because when I'm hungry, it sounds like I've got gremlins in my stomach. And this hormone called ghrelin does a similar sort of thing. It doesn't make your tummy, well, it might make your tummy rumble, but it increases when you're hungry and it tells you to look for food because we're hungry and also to slow down activity because we don't know when the next food is coming. So that hormone is really important. So they would have their ghrelin levels measured and obviously they were quite high. They drank their milkshake and they were told this milkshake was guilt-free satisfaction. It only had 200 calories and they drank it and their ghrelin levels were measured and they had gone down a little bit. And off they went home. They came back the next week after having not eaten for a period of time. Their ghrelin levels were measured. They were high because they were hungry. And they were given a second milkshake. And this time they were told, this is decadence you deserve. This is 600 calories in this milkshake. And their ghrelin levels dropped dramatically, indicating they were no longer hungry. And as you've probably guessed, it was the same milkshake. There was no difference in the first milkshake and the second milkshake. It came from the same batch of about a 300 calorie mix. What they thought, however, impacted their physical anatomy, as did the ladies in the, rest, in the hotel. So I wondered how I could apply this to school. 
And so I did a bit more research and I came across a lot of research where they had found that children who had the mindset that mistakes were bad struggled with their learning. And where did that mindset come from? And the more I researched, the more I realized how much I had fallen prey to this and many of us had. When we're little and we go home with our spelling books and we're learning cat, rat, sat, mat, fat, and we go back and we get 10 out of 10, and then we go home and mommy says, well done, you're such a clever little girl, you got 10 out of 10. And our brains begin to think that to be clever, you've got to get full marks. So when I'm presented with some challenges, I get a bit worried now because chances are I'm not going to get it all right, therefore I'm not going to be clever because I'm not going to get full marks. And what they did is an experiment with some children and they praised them when they got high marks. And another group of children, they praised them when they worked and tried hard. And the ones that they praised for getting good marks, when they presented with a choice of some challenging work or some easy work, they always went for the easy work because they didn't want to get it wrong, because they didn't want to not be clever. The ones that had been praised for their hard work often took the challenge. And what they did, amazing experiment, they put little sensors on children's brains, no harm was done to children, and they presented them with some maths problems, one group of children maths problems that were really easy, and they got them all right, and there was a little bit of brain activity, a few lights lit up. The other group of children, they gave almost impossible math sums, and they got them all wrong, but the lights were just going on all over the brain. So the brain was really working, the networks were growing as they were working, and so I told this to a group of students, and one girl put up her hand, she said, Mrs. Payne, our brains are having a disco, even when we get it wrong. And I said, wow, that is amazing. So when I was teaching, because I teach from three years old to 18, when I was talking to a slightly younger child, who I thought, it's not going to understand this, but she's dyslexic and she struggles with spelling. And we're making progress, but each time I do a test of spelling, she gets some right, but she gets some wrong. And she was going like this. Every time she got one wrong. And I thought, what do I do? So I told her this little story about the lights. And I said, and this big girl from senior school, she said, it's like your brain's having a disco when you get something wrong. Well, the next time she got a spelling wrong, she went, disco! I thought, wow, I changed her behavior just by changing her thinking. And so that's what I've started to do in school, not to be afraid of failure, to almost welcome hard work, welcome challenge, because it helps you to think on a very, very deep level. So that's just amazing. And I've been asking myself what sorts of mindsets I've been sitting with over the years that haven't been helpful. And there's one, I, I tell you, I, ladies, I apologize in advance. You, you'll probably talk to me afterwards and just tell me how not impressed you are. But multitasking is not a valuable skill. I really thought it was. I thought I was so proud of myself when I could multitask and I pitied those who couldn't. I felt sorry for them. I thought it was really good that I could run around and do 10 things at once. But apparently it creates a milkshake of chemicals in your brain. And that's not good. It slows our ability to focus. It, it makes us more attention deficit. It's not good for us at all. And so that's been a huge... Um, Andy's very pleased. <laughs> but yeah... So now what I'm doing, instead of 
as soon as I catch myself running around doing more than one thing, I stop myself. I do, do I want a, a multitasking milkshake or do I want to do some fruitful focus? And that's become my keyword that I came up with myself. Fruitful focus. Focus on one thing at a time. And although it doesn't feel like I'm getting a lot done, I'm hopeful that that eventually will begin to pay off. The other thing that I'm challenging myself on is the mindset that our thoughts are harmless. They're just these things that run through our brain and they're not real. They don't do anything. I've been studying a lady called Caroline Leaf. She's South African. She's a cognitive scientist, a brain scientist, and she's done a lot of work on thinking. And she actually talks about our thoughts as occupying mental real estate. And I love that. They actually occupy our thinking. They create our little networks in our brain. They occupy space. And they can have a direct effect on our physical bodies, on our muscles, our tension, our blood pressures, our hormones, on so much stuff. Now, what she says is just amazing. We can choose to look at a thought. So as soon as a thought goes through our mind, it comes out of our subconscious or comes out um, from our environment, goes into our conscious mind. At that point, that thought becomes vulnerable to change. We can either choose to leave it unchallenged and it goes back stronger, or we can challenge it and it goes back weaker, but it never goes back into our subconscious the same. So every thought you have and you just let it go back in is either strengthening your networks or if you're replacing a negative thought, you're decreasing that negative thoughts network in your brain. I'll come back to that a little bit in a moment. So the other mindset that I've been working on is waiting is a waste of time. That's what really what I thought. That any amount of waiting in queues, waiting for the computer, waiting on the phone, on the insurance company who play that lovely music that I really don't want to listen to, waiting for God to move, waiting for my prayers to be answered. It's a waste of time. Come on, God. We are wasting precious time. And that has been a mindset that has had huge spiritual consequences for me. And it's one that um, is, I'm currently challenging. So hopefully some of the mindsets that I've been examining myself, you might identify with one of them or none of them, but what I want you to get from it is that the key message, mindsets are powerful. And sometimes we need to challenge them. And when we do it the right way, the transformation can be miraculous. Now Caroline Leaf says a wonderful thing. She says science is finally catching up with the Bible. So often we can think of this whole brain research, oh, well, that's very worldly. Very worldly. We shouldn't really get involved with those things. We should concern ourselves with deep spiritual things. Well, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. We have the mind of Christ. And the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that we will know what God's will is. So we do need to challenge some of our mindsets. Now, the two examples that I gave you from um, Dr. Alia Crum, the housekeepers and the milkshake drinkers, the housekeepers were told the truth. 
they were told about the calories that were being used up when they were exercising, and that made a difference. The milkshake drinkers, they were told lies, in effect, weren't they? They were told the wrong calorie intake. But that would have had a whole ethical kind of covering, and, and they would have been debriefed afterwards and all that kind of thing. So we're not going to worry about those people who were told lies. But for us, it's important that when we challenge our mindsets, we, we challenge them with the truth. And John 8, 31 says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. For me, one of the keys of changing a mindset is awareness. Now, hopefully today, I've given you a little bit of awareness of the power of the mind and the potential of a transformed mind. But your job is to take the time, and my job is to take the time to be aware of our thoughts and just to pay them some attention. Take a time each day. Just sit quietly and think, what's actually rushing through my brain? Is there a pattern in what I'm thinking? Is there a mindset, a group of attitudes that I hold that might be responsible for some of these thoughts? Is it the truth? Is there possibly another way of looking at these things and be prepared to challenge. So take time to be aware and then be prepared to challenge some of those precious think, thinking mindsets that you've held. Like for me, um, multitasking I thought was good. It's been hard to challenge that, but be prepared to. Confess to God, Lord, I'm sorry that I've held this pattern of thinking for so long. Give me your wisdom and your understanding. He's the creator of the hardware. Who better to ask for updating the software that we need to run on it? What I've discovered is that fighting our thoughts doesn't work. Going, oh, I'm going to fight this thought. But there's an amazing universal law. What we water and feed grows. And what we don't dies. So when we make a focused effort to replace unhelpful thoughts... And then every day we do something that reinforces that positive, godly mindset, the brain network grows. Now, I, I can't um, recommend more highly Dr. Caroline Leaf's book called Switch on Your Brain. She describes that research says it takes 21 days for a network to become strong. So I believe God can change our mindset in an instant. He can change. I've stood here and there's been a song and I suddenly go, oh! Wow, suddenly the light has come on. But then I go home and I do nothing with it. And so, yeah, something started to grow, but it takes 21 days for that mindset to actually begin to make a difference in your brain. And then if you do another 21 days, it makes it even stronger. And another 21 days, even stronger. Now that sounds long. Oh, 21 days to change my mindset. But it's worth it. Can we afford the time? The more I realize the power of my mindset, the more I realize I can't afford not to do it. And so my challenge to you and to myself is to take the time to get aware. And one of the best ways to do that is listen to the words that you speak because the Bible, Jesus said, the heart speaks, sorry, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So listen to your own words, not with judgment. Don't, oh, you stupid idiot. How could you say that? How could you think that? We don't want to do that. We just want to say, wow, listen to myself. 
What am I thinking? Help me, Lord, to think differently about this. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I have the mind of Christ. I can take these thoughts captive and I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And you know what? I find songs amazing. Find a song that's got a truth in it and just play it over and over again. It's not fighting the negative thoughts. It's just replacing them. And it's just creating more and more networks, building up that positive network. We're not fighting the negative. We're replacing it. What we water and feed grows, and what we don't water or feed dies. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Another translation says, Let your mind dwell on these things. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you again that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We cannot even begin to fathom just how amazingly we are made. But thank you, Lord, that today we've been able just to scratch the surface of the amazing gift of our brain that you have given us. And we pray, Lord, that that software that runs on those amazing brains, that you would transform our thinking, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds. Father, give us the passion to go away today and to validate ourselves, to say, yes, Lord, I'm worth it. I'm worth taking five minutes to sit and to think about my thinking. Help us, Lord, to examine ourselves in the light of your love of your compassion, of your kindness, and just in the spirit of your power. We thank you, Lord. You are sovereign. You are Lord over our thinking. You are Lord over all of our lives. And we just submit our thinking and our thoughts and our mindsets to you. And we want to say, Lord, just have your way. Just come in us. Challenge us gently, but definitely. Father, that we might be able to know what your good and perfect and pleasing will is, Lord, because there can be no higher purpose than that.